Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Welcome to the Supporting Sobriety Podcast, dedicated to the unsung heroes behind those struggling with addiction, their friends and family like you. We'll share insights, stories, and resources to help you support your loved ones and care for yourself on the recovery journey. I was hopelessly addicted to crack cocaine. The year was 2007, and besides my eight-ball-a-day habit, I was working as a sports reporter in Baltimore, and I was assigned to cover Hall of Fame weekend in Cooperstown, New York. Cal Ripken Jr. and Tony Gwynn were being enshrined, and it was going to be a busy weekend, but all I could think about was drugs. How was I going to score in Cooperstown? I wanted help. I needed help. But it was in an environment that I didn't feel comfortable with divulging my deepest, darkest secret that I was a crackhead. Or was I? That's the stigma that we're dealing with. That's what society told me I was. And I certainly wasn't going to tell my boss as we were driving to Cooperstown for the station's biggest event in decades that I wanted some crack. (laughs) Little did I know there was help. My name's Ryan Hedrick, and I'm living out my dreams as a broadcaster in Indianapolis, thriving in the recovery process with years clean and sober. And now it's my mission to help you help your loved ones find recovery. All right. I'm in my mid-20s, okay? Mid to late 20s, and my girlfriend and I were in that cycle, as somebody you're familiar with. A party, drunk, fight, makeup. Party, drunk, fight, makeup. I agreed to go to counseling only because she was already doing it, and at my first and what turns out to be only session, I told the truth, but it was my truth. Mm. She was unfair, and everyone is awful naturally. Uh, the, the counselor, she looked at me, and she said, um, I, I couldn't believe this. She said, Matt, you're an alcoholic. And of course, I didn't go back after that. I mean, I was in my late 20s, and 20-year-olds aren't alcoholics. I truly believe this. It it was one more stigma that kept me from the truth that I was an alcoholic. I'm Matt Bear, a recovering alcoholic and traffic reporter in Indianapolis, and this is the Supporting Sobriety Podcast. In this episode, we'll cover the five things you need to know about the stigmas of addiction. Here's a quick rundown. Number one, it's a decision. Number two, the amount matters. Number three, alcoholics are safer than addicts. Number four, that we're helpless. And number five, you triggered a relapse. Now let's dig in. Number one, it's a decision. All right, Matt, for years and years, I've listened to people and the media tell me that it's a decision and that I'm thinking my using through and that I've thought about it to the point where consciously I'm thinking about picking up that next drink or drug. Okay. And after weighing out the pros and cons, I've decided to use something that's going to kill me. Right. 
Well, <laughs> after further review, that's not exactly how my addiction has worked in the 25 plus years I was in active addiction. So, I think the point that I'm trying to make is that if if I wanted to use drugs and alcohol, people think it's a choice. However, when your loved one is in active addiction and they're in what I call the grips and most likely they're using against their will, there are levels to this stuff. So here's how I break down these levels. At first, your loved one starts out using, and and it's fun, right, Matt? They're going to parties. Sure. They're sharing drugs. Maybe they, they're using what we call recreationally. I know that's a fun topic that people like to throw around with, with drug use, but it's controllable. At least that's what it appears. But the, the word I want to kind of instill in this podcast is progressive, and when, it's a progressive disease. Correct. Addiction. Yeah. Yeah. And when we talk about the word progressive, as it relates to alcohol and addiction, meaning it tends to get worse over time, right? It, it could involve using more of a substance, becoming more dependent on that substance or substances, and causing, and the substance is causing more health problems than you anticipated they would cause. The decision that people are talking about is something that misinformed people are are referring to active addiction. Addiction is a disease. I remember when I started using meth in the 1990s. Interesting to note that that night, that particular night in Simi Valley, California, man, I, I'm remembering all this stuff as if it, it's just happening to me. That night, me and my buddy were actually trying to score coke. But there was no Coke to be had. Instead, Uh-oh. we settled for something cheaper and stronger. So I remember the second I used meth, it was like, that's how I wanted to feel my whole life. And your loved one probably feels the same way. Once yeah. they start using that drug, they are under the influence and control and power of that specific drug. I mean, you could be watching an alcoholic or addict be born when they first take their drink or, or take their first drink or have their first drug. I mean, this could be like the opening the opening volley into their addiction. And that's what's... I mean, Ryan, this is the argument that I, I, I used to really believe, that this is a choice. And I remember getting my hair cut up. Like when I was in my early twenties, I I don't know. I was obviously partying a lot. You, you were in that young twenties where all you care about is booze and women. And the woman that's cutting my hair, uh, she would cut for like everybody at the radio station I worked at, and she's beautiful. Everybody loved her, and she's trimming my hair, and she's telling me about her alcoholic dad and the story. And you know, without even thinking, I said, "Well, why can't he just stop?" Mm. And the conversation went from there, me arguing with her that he should be able to just quit. Her trying to explain to me that, no, it's not his choice, that this is actually a disease. And and me just not being able to comprehend or conceptualize the fact that that drinking, it could be part of alcoholism, that it could uh, be a disease. So I fully believe this. So I, I know when people a lot of times are saying you just are able to quit or just quit, they're not saying it. And. It's all they understand. It's more right. of a thing of ignorance. It doesn't mean that there isn't love in their heart, which I fully believe there is. It's the frustration. It's the disappointment they have in us as alcoholics and addicts. Why can't you just quit? Well, because we can't. 
It, it, and that's part of the stigma. It, it's an allergy. I'm, I'm allergic to alcohol. One, one drink is never enough, and then one drunk is never enough. Uh, there's a compulsion. And I use either drugs or alcohol to continue even using uh, when I achieve some sort of desired effect, uh, whether it's drunkenness or, or, or just being high. I just keep going into oblivion. But isn't that what society wants us to believe? If society doesn't have an answer for something that's so complex, such as addiction or alcoholism, they tend to cast an opinion on something that is the prevailing sentiment about that. In this case, it's addiction because we think we know we're just going to cast an opinion and that opinion is going to be a fact. And that's what clouds people from getting help. I think stigma is one of the barriers to people actually getting the help that they need. Number two, the amount matters. All right. So, I was in a recovery house with this guy who had robbed a Baltimore diner for some money to buy heroin. But he was new to the game. He had shot dope like once, maybe twice, and then he was hooked. So, he caught this armed robbery case and was deferred to the recovery house for evaluation and would later be released on what they call in the state of Maryland probation before judgment. Okay? Huh, I've never heard of that. Another guy in the same house, an alcoholic for 30 years from Texas. I'll never forget this guy. His rants during house meetings, Matt, they were epic. He was what I call uniquely sick. He had a high tolerance for BS. In this case, he had a high tolerance for alcohol. In and out of the rooms, in and out of treatment. I mean, this guy was a 30 treatment guy. He, he had 30 treatment centers under his belt in his drinking career. So, let's fast forward to 2024. One guy is now dead, and the other guy has 12 years clean. The guy who used twice in his life never went back. The guy who drank since he was a teenager drank himself to death. So when we talk about the stigma, which is what we're talking about today, that's part of the reason society has a hard time defining and classifying addiction. Once your loved one puts a drug in their body, there's no telling how they're going to react. I've sat in enough meetings, and I know you have too, to know that as addicts and alcoholics, we differ in rates of recovery and sickness. One of the greatest contributors to stigma of addiction and alcoholism is the amount of drugs that you use. Increased drug use may be be a sign of developing dependence. Sometimes it isn't. I have friends that are attorneys and even cops, I hate to say this, that drink and use, but they can do it on the weekends once every six months. My cousin is a radiologist at Cedar sinai in Los Angeles. This guy can drink tequila shots on the weekend and binge drink. He doesn't go back to it for a year. Right? It's amazing to me. I can't even think about it. It's not a concept. If I, I, I take imagine. tequila shots, I'm disappearing to a city, a section of a city where they sell a lot of crack cocaine. You're not going to see right. me for a year. That's just how my body works. But talking to doctors and psychologists and other addicts and parents and stuff, nobody knows how this stuff is going to play out. Listen, when I was a kid smoking cigarettes on my balcony, I would do it until I threw up. When I was a young kid spinning on the merry-go-round, I would go round and round in circles until I was so dizzy I couldn't stand up. Watching the world turn without a drink or a drug. So when we talk about the amounts of drugs to quantify addiction and alcoholism, behavior 
is a huge factor. And it is behavior. I mean, you don't have to be a falling down drunk like me to <laughs> be an alcoholic. You just don't. Um, I was drinking a fifth and a half a day of vodka. Yeah, you don't have to have that kind of consumption to be an alcoholic. I mean, how does your loved one act when they're drinking? I, I know someone who was, uh, it was a party. Everybody wanted to party with him. He was the Ken doll looking guy. He could get the girls and uh, he just, uh, he was a really popular guy when he was drinking. Did he, he have blue five, eyes though? Yeah, he had, he had baby <laughs> blue eyes. I hated him for that reason. Um, no, it's, it, it, when he would party, uh, of course, he would uh, totally get offensive because he was the guy who could get away with it. It was it just, well, that's just him. You know, he was that guy. Well, he got arrested at a football game one time. Mm. It was a college football game, and he got arrested for uh, starting fights with his fans, <laughs> with the fans on his side, which is something I would do. I'm, I'm not judging here, but he had to go to the lockup and everything. And this is just one example of his behavior after he would be drinking. So, to me, I... Mm, that's alcoholic behavior. That, right. That's someone who's an alcoholic, and he never drank as much as I did. So when we say quantity doesn't matter, I, I just don't think quantity is an indicator of whether or not your loved one is an alcoholic or addict. I mean, there are lots of this thing is so evil, so insidious, it covers so many bases. Yeah, and that's a great point you make. I was sitting in a meeting three weeks ago, and this newcomer comes into the room. He had just come from treatment, and he raised his hand. And listen, I'm sitting in a room of 50. 50 people, 50 men who have either uh, shot themselves half to death or smoked themselves half to death on crack and heroin. This young kid raises his hand and says, I can't stop smoking weed. And I, I saw a lot of guys snicker around the room. His tolerance for weed was nothing. We drove him up into the rooms of Narcotics Anonymous. The amount of weed, to me, I, I mean, he took a couple of bong hits and he was done. All bets are off when it comes to people because, again, it's not our reaction to drugs that makes us addicts and alcoholics. It's how we behave once we're under the influence. Amen. Uh, the first time I, I ever took... Um well, it wasn't oxygen. Hydrocodone. The first yeah. time I ever took hydrocodone. What do those feel like, by the way? Oh, you could put a nuclear bomb next to me, and I would not care. Yeah. Um, I, How does I, your behavior change? I become a ladies' man. Oh, okay. I become very outgoing, very gregarious. Um, so you're like the guy that, that you always wanted to be, but didn't have courage. That's exactly what I was until acting you're like. Until you're under the influence. Yeah, until yeah. I'm under the influence. of. And I did it so much better on oxycotton than alcohol. Mm. It's the craziest thing. But I, I am an alcoholic. That is my drug of choice. I, I get written this prescription for some injury. Some dumb thing I did when I was drunk when I was 19. I go to the doctor. I get a field. I know nothing about painkillers. I take this pill, this one pill. I'm in love. Mm. I have just fallen in love. This is the greatest thing ever. That was a case of just taking one and an addict is born. How long yeah. does it take to kick in, by the way? I've always, I've never taken an opiate. It's not my DOC, my drug of choice. So how long do you, does it take oh, before man. you feel this thing? In the beginning, I mean, it was not instantaneous, but you could quickly notice a change in sure. your behavior and, and your perceptions. Now, as it went on, as you know, when your tolerance builds up and you're, <laughs> you're taking eight or nine of these or snorting them, whatever you have to do, then it takes a while to kick in. And sure. that's when you get arrow. It's just like anytime you don't have any kind of drug, you get angry and irritable. So th that's making our point right here that the amount, it doesn't necessarily take a lot to make us who we feel like we need to be or should have been all our lives. Again, the amount matters. Yes, no, I don't know, but I think it lends to the stigma 
people don't think you have a problem until you're like 28 balls deep, 20 grand deep. It's not necessarily the amount that matters. All right, we're just getting started here on the Supporting Sobriety Podcast, talking about stigmas. By the way, you can follow us on X or at Instagram as Supporting Sober. That's at Supporting Sober. When we come back, more stigma. We have points three, four, five to go, including that we're not helpless and, you know, alcoholics. Are they safer than addicts? Well, there's a stigma there. Supporting Sobriety Podcast. I had changed the locks, didn't even know where she was living. And then one night she calls to say she's getting treatment. Can I drive? I almost hung up. But then I thought, that's my kid. I chose to put away the hurt and the fear and just see my girl. Addiction is a disease. Standing by a loved one as they fight it will test your faith, patience, and sanity. But it's possible when you see the person, not just their disease. Learn more at cbeyondtheaddiction.org. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. You're listening to the Supporting Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Supporting Sobriety Podcast. Matt Bear and Ryan Hedrick with you. And we're breaking down the five things you need to know about the stigma of addiction and alcoholism. And boy, there are a lot of barriers here. And by barriers, I say stigma because stigma is what we call something that prevents you, something that society has cast. And here's number three. Alcoholics are safer than addicts. Man, dirty needles, street crime, and jail. That that's that, Those are the limitations to what people think drives addiction. That's the perception of addiction, right? Well, let me share the story. I was driving home the other day, and I was at a stoplight. And there was a, a liquor store to my left. I think you know which one I'm talking about, Matt. I was in it several times. Yeah. <laughs> St. Clair Street here in Indianapolis. Yeah. Cheers. A- right. As I uh, as I glanced past the light, I was drawn back toward the store. There was a man that was leaning down. He was wearing blue jeans and a flannel shirt. He was tying his shoe, and he he was appearing to be leaning in what I call the dope fiend lean. I've never heard. The, well, what the, exactly is the okay, dope, the dope fiend, fiend lean? Okay, the dope fiend lean is it's a term that they use that that when somebody has some really good dope in their system, it makes you nod out in a certain way. In this position, like you do yoga. I know you do yoga. This is not even a, a yoga position. It's <laughs> Okay, so next yoga class, I mean, she's not going to be like, get into a dope lean clean. A, 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 a dope fiend lean. She's not going to be like, don't get into a dope fiend lean. <laughs> yeah, okay. So here's the point I'm trying to make. Any drug that changes your perception alters your mood or changes your behavior can be dangerous and deadly, right? There's no model for the addict or what the addict looks like. A person who is using comes in all shapes, forms, and fashions. Yeah, addiction does not discriminate. Mm-hmm. Not in my lifetime. And this is um, this stigma that alcoholics are safer than addicts. I mean, I, I, I well, we had to talk before the show. I wanted to make sure it just wasn't in my head. That was a big thing. Yeah, uh, but this is something that um, 
really test my humility, you know, the humility that we need to stay sober because I get really frustrated when I hear things like this. And it all started, I would say, it would be the second time I went to rehab. The first time I was really serious <laughs> about rehab, you know. And we went to a meeting. It was one of the first meetings where I actually cared about recovery. And it was an AA meeting. It was AA meeting, but mm-hmm. it was open because we went as a group. We had addicts, alcoholics from the rehabilitation treatment center. Sure. We went. And, you know, it was a home group for some. You know, and everybody knew each other well. And here, all of a sudden, we have some of our residents sharing who happen to be drug addicts. Mm-hmm. And one of them, who was a really good friend of mine at the time, tells his story. And the very next share, the alcoholic says, I hate you fucking guys. He mm. says, all you guys do is steal from me. I've trusted three of you. You have stole from my truck. You've stole money. You stole cash. You stole from my work and everything else. And the look on the, uh, the addict's face he was talking about, because he was speaking directly to him, that guy goes, sheet white. He's like, what did I do to you? But that left an impression on me, and through pop culture and everything else, you know, yeah, you want to talk about getting inside your head where I don't want to be, but through pop culture and everything else, it's like the stigma has been reinforced that for some reason, alcoholics are safer than addicts, and I'm here to tell you they're not. Yeah, so there's a there's what they call a clarity statement that they read in the rooms of Narcotics Anonymous, and basically, just to give you a brief history lesson and tie this whole point in... Alcoholics Anonymous was the first 12-step fellowship. It was created in the 50s, and it was created by guys that really, really dug in to spiritual principles that they would transform into these 12 steps where people could practice these things and live them in their lives to make their lives better, healthier, so they can make sound decisions and get away from the grips and chains of addiction, right? So, in Narcotics Anonymous, you'll notice that the 12 steps talk about addiction and not alcoholism. AA, the steps that are are listed are, are the same steps in Narcotics Anonymous. The only word that is different in each and every one of those steps is alcohol. Alcohol is pervasive in all those steps. Terrific point. In NA, it's not. It's addiction. So the fellowships classify these things. And Matt, to Matt's point, when people are sharing, some alcoholics get mad when drug addicts come into their meetings and use the terms drugs it's it's weird and again it goes it doesn't do anything to break the stigma, it keeps the stigma burning, in my opinion. Well, at the top, you you talked about the stigma that you know with the dirty needles and the stealing and everything else. I'm here to tell you, Ryan, as an alcoholic, I I take just as much, and it's not always monetary. Um, I, I can steal an individual's individuality. I mean, I can steal an individual's individuality with these mm. uh, codependent relationships, and I, I know addicts can do those too. But as an alcoholic, I I, I can do them as well. Um, uh, codependency. You know, those relationships where one side feels like they can't survive without the other. As an alcoholic, I love creating that environment because it gives me a false sense of security. Because it's if, if I take from this other person's individuality and make it my own, then I feel more secure in who I am. And those types of relationships are so crippling to the, well, the people behind the people, the people we get with. Um, 
No doubt we steal money to support our habit. Yeah. Um, we take money that's supposed to go to other people, people that need it, and then we give it to our disease. And we steal lives uh, by driving drunk. And we destroy relationships because we get drunk and horny and cheat and ask someone to cheat with their <laughs> significant other. I mean, we lie about everything all the time. I mean, as alcoholics, we're just as bad. And, and so when we're watching a football game on Sunday, or you and I went to a Colts game a few uh, months ago, and all over the Lucas Oil Stadium, we're looking at beer signs. It's legal. That goes to the stigma, too, furthering the stigma that alcoholics are safer than addicts because there wasn't a there wasn't an ad for crack cocaine distribution around the corner, right? <laughs> oh, but, I didn't see one. <laughs> but there was for Bud Light or Budweiser or something like that. Society thinks that because we advertise these things freely and that you see gorgeous people drinking, that alcohol Alcoholics are safer than addicts, but it's not true. The, the devastation you're talking about is caused by something that is totally legal. The devastation that I'm talking about is caused by something illegal, but it comes to the same ending. Jails, institutions, and death. Number four. All right. That we're helpless. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Are we powerless? Yes. Are we helpless? I don't know. It, it depends on what stage of recovery or addiction that we're in. So was when I was in the grips, I was absolutely helpless. I, I didn't want to be helped. I didn't think I needed help. You couldn't tell me anything about help. And now, looking back on it, I realize that the stigma has a lot to do with that. Here's the biggest obstacle that a lot of people that I talk to have to overcome. Navigating your emotions... Mm-hmm. And and as a person behind somebody that is struggling, if you want to help this person, you're going to have to navigate not only their attitude toward helplessness, but navigating your emotions toward the fact that there is help for you if you educate yourself about addiction. Set, set healthy boundaries and encourage your loved one to engage in a treatment or recovery program. I like to say, helpless, no, powerless, yes. Well, it goes to the first step of our, our recovery programs that mm. we're powerless Great over point. alcohol and our lives have become unmanageable. Great point. And, yeah, and I, and, I, and I love the first step because we have to practice it every day. We we are helpless when we're using, absolutely. And um, I, I can't make decisions for myself. Uh, but in recovery, not so much. Um, and this is why we were talking about you know ignorance. And ignorance is not evil. It's not mean or bad necessarily. It's just that you don't know. You see us in our most pitiful states, okay, where we are crying and we're babies. That's 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 the way I am. And that's all you see us as. And of course, because that's all we show you. But when we come out of that, when we sober up, it, it, it's now our time to, uh, to stop the wanting to, to make the right decisions and very much do the right thing. It's like when we are where you need us to be, we are no longer helpless. Uh, and and that's that's the beauty of sobriety. It's the beauty of recovery. You just, just don't give up on us. All right. Number five, you triggered a relationship. I like to say that we saved the best for last because you did this, you caused it, you're the reason I am where I am and how I am. I made you the way you are. I made you the way you are. And I like to tell people that I needed three things in active addiction, right? Food, water, and somebody to blame. (laughs) 
In yeah, fact, the third one was the easiest to find. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Because I wasn't worried about the first two in active addiction. Oh, hell no. I, I had my, uh, what, what I call, my first sponsor told me, you have the blame thrower out there. You have the, the blame thrower is locked and loaded. In fact, blaming someone for my problems was something that not only became common, but check this out. It was my defense mechanism to keep me sick. My wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, I'd been with her for nearly eight years. She bought me drugs so I wouldn't have to leave the house. She thought that I was safer in the house using drugs than I was out in the streets she using drugs. She was trying drugs. to protect you, essentially. She was, yeah. and essentially, probably codependent, but another episode, another time. Right. I used to take hours and hours to buy drugs because the community we lived in was so dense and rural that it, it took me time to get to my dealers. And I remember joking with one dealer about how my, my wife or my girlfriend at the time would go to work just to support my habit. And I wasn't lying. So over time, that actually became my way to justify blaming her when I ran out and I was on a days long bender. I think the stigma goes hand in hand with the denial phase of our addiction. It's not the easiest thing in the world, Matt Bear, to come out and say that you're using drugs or alcohol and you have a problem that you can't control. It becomes easy, though, to blame the people around us and the people closest to us and blame them for causing our problems. I've been a lot of things in my life, right, Matt? I've been mm-hmm. a son, I've been a student, I've been an employee, I've been a drug addict, but I'd never been anything more successful or what I thought was more successful than a professional victim. <laughs> I, I spent a lot of time being a professional victim. And, and with that victimhood mentality, I spent a lot of time blaming people for triggering relapses, right? The stigma was perpetuated by my lies and society's lies and the doctor's lies. Here's my experience. When I stopped making excuses, I got some help, finally. You may have to endure a little turmoil with your loved one or a lot of turmoil. I'm never going to lie to you, but it's a lot of stuff that you're going to have to go through. But you can expect to be the punching bag when when they're facing a rock bottom. One thing I can share, here's the hope. I want to leave you with the hope. I'm living proof. Matt Bear is living proof. We recover. Recovery is possible a day at a time. You know, COVID made me relapse. It, it did. It was uh, COVID's fault mm. that I uh, relapsed and they closed gyms and everything shut down. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm being facetious. I mean, but that's what I said. I said, COVID made me relapse. You know, when I came out of it, you know, I told everybody I loved everybody that already made amends to. Do you remember Scott Watson? Yeah. Um, we talked to him back in episode two. It was about intervention. And, and Scott came on and talked to us. He was my first sponsor. And, and he said something to me. It was so good. It, it stuck with me. Um, when I go to the grocery store and I, and I go by the wine and liquor aisle like I do every single day, uh, my brain might jump to, oh, look, it's a drink. Okay? Mm-hmm. That's human. But one thing Scott taught me is the very next thought I have is pretty much up to me. Am I going to drink? Do I want to drink? You know, th- where it has my where has my recovery training put my mindset where I'm able to defend against that and get my thinking back to a more positive thought? Mm-hmm. We have the first thing, the human second thing for our own thought. So if I make the wrong decision on the second thought, then that it, it, it is totally not it, it, that's my fault for not having my recovery strong enough to be prepared for that moment. So, no, somebody can't 
necessarily trigger a relapse as it says hey, this is our recovery is up to us we want that responsibility that is the beautiful spiritual thing a lot of times about recovery is that we for the first for the first time in my life I'm taking a responsibility for myself <laughs> and, and that's never happened before so and, and we love it and we embrace it and and we want that to be our responsibility and be our thing you know us got it and recovery groups in and you're very much part of that too but you certainly can't make us relapse no that's up to us when we come back ryan and i have a couple of brief remarks on relapse and we'll tell you what's next and how to find us this is the supporting sobriety podcast if you or a loved one have a problem with drugs or alcohol narcotics anonymous may be able to help we are recovering addicts who meet regularly to help each other stay clean. Anyone who feels they may have a problem is welcome in Narcotics Anonymous. And it's free. For more information, visit us at centralindianana.org. That's centralindianana.org. Or call 317-875-5459. That's 317-875-545. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Nine. This is the Supporting Sobriety Podcast. Supporting Sobriety Podcast. You can find us on social media, X Instagram, at Sobriety underscore pod. That's at Sobriety underscore pod. Uh, yeah, we talked about the five stigmas on alcoholics and addicts today, and our list of number one is a decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, these stigmas, number two, the amount matters. Number three, alcoholics are safer than addicts. Number four, that were helpless. And number five, you triggered a relapse. Yeah. So, Here's my thought about stigma, and I, I, I want to share an email that I had sent. I'm not going to name the woman's name, but we were trying to get her as a guest on the show, and she had sent me an email back talking about you know the language of addiction, the language of alcoholism. Don't use this, don't use that. So I dug in a little bit, and I realized this woman unfortunately lost her son to addiction. So I think there's a lot of emotional value that goes into talking about the stigma because for me a long career in active addiction long and might I add unsuccessful stigma kept me sick for a long time it kept me from getting help it kept me from admitting that I was dying inside and outside that I needed help to treat my addiction so I think when we talk about stigma Matt this is one of the most important episodes we can't talk about this enough because we have to use our experience to parlay that and interject it with our thoughts about stigma because because stigma will kill somebody. We're losing way too many people. We lost 103,000 people two years ago to addiction. And I think a lot of it goes to stigma. Stigma keeps me and kept me sick for a long time. 
And I think so much about stigma is just uh, what we think we believe, and that's not always true. I mean, it's we've we talked a lot about ignorance today, and ignorance is okay, it, just as long as me as an alcoholic uh, is applying myself to better learn what this disease is about. And for you, the people behind the people, hopefully you come along and do the same. Uh, the one thing, if we do everything, I had a therapist who told me, if we do everything with kindness, kindness, honesty, kindness, honesty, be true. And if we do that, then some of these stigmas take care of themselves. All of a sudden we're listening and our minds open and our hearts open and and we're able to process these things. And that's really all we're saying. I mean, an alcoholic isn't better or safer than an addict, but we're not any worse either. It's it's all the same. It's the addiction. And it's like what we were taught when we were kids. No one person is better than another person. And there are things as long as we keep our minds and hearts open this will continue to learn we'll better be able to address this disease that's what the supporting sobriety podcast is all about i just want to remind you we do this podcast for you we know we put you through a lot and we want to help you find the peace and serenity that we found in recovery thank you for listening to supporting sobriety please subscribe and tell a friend this podcast may help you or may help them you can find the supporting sobriety podcast on social media x instagram at sobriety underscore pod that's at sobriety underscore pod and if you need help out there you can find help go to aa.intergroup.org slash meetings those are meetings you can find virtual ones uh virtual meetings at na virtual dash na.org and of course the suicide prevention hotline so important 800-273-8255 that's 24 7 uh, for the people behind the people so important alanon go to alanon.org and find meetings there and as you said ryan just like us and subscribe us tell your friends tell your friends the uh, Supporting Sobriety podcast is out, and we are here to help. You know, Matt, there's a 12-step program that we're very familiar with, and one of the books says that the last thing to leave addiction is the stigma, and that's why I want to spend a little more time educating people on the stigma. I love talking about it. It's so important. In our next episode, we're going to keep talking about stigma with the woman that has spent nearly two decades treating addicts and alcoholics. Her name is Lindsay Bland, and she works at Sandra Eskenazi Mental Health Center Adult Addiction Services in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I can't wait to get her experience on stigma. Yeah, it's going to be terrific. And uh, we've had a good conversation about stigma today. And it's it's nice to have somebody who's done uh, so much research in a professional environment just got to get what, what she feels about about uh, some of the stigmas and maybe how that keeps people from really getting into and staying in recovery. Interested in hearing her thoughts on that. This is the Supporting a Sobriety Podcast. When there's breath, there's hope. Thank you for listening to the Supporting Sobriety Podcast. 